Pray with me. Today, Father, we pray that every knee and every tongue and every heart and every voice would rightly praise you, Lord, and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because you are risen from the dead, you are Lord. And we, your people, adore you and worship you. And we pray, Father, that starting right now, we would bow the knee and we would confess with our mouths that you are Lord and there is no other. Be exalted in this place. Be exalted in our worship. May our mind's attention and our heart's affection be focused fully on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. time. Well, it's a great day to worship the Lord and we celebrate all that He has done. Remember last week we were talking about our problem with sin and I showed you the video um, of Dennis Swanberg saying in his best Barney Fife voice, nip it in the bud. One member of my family who will go nameless said, Oh, how I wish you could do that. And I said, you know, I wish I could do that too. It would be good if I could uh, imitate voices, but I'm grateful that he can. I wonder, how do, we, how do we stop sinning? Why would we stop sinning? Maybe you've heard about the Christian who went out and, and bought a parrot at a pet store and the bird seemed like the perfect pet until he got it home and he discovered that the bird had something of a profanity problem. The parrot could curse for five minutes without stopping or repeating itself. And because of the owner's convictions, the profanity was beyond obnoxious. And so one day when he'd had all he could take, he said to the bird, just stop, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. And the bird cursed him. And so he was so angry, he just took the bird, he didn't know what to do. He just opened the closet and threw the bird inside. And the bird was, there was this clamor and all this noise. And the bird was swearing in there and he felt bad. And so he brought the bird out and the bird swore at him again. And, and still angry, he opened the freezer door and just put the bird in the freezer and closed the freezer and And then it became silent. It was the first time in in weeks that the bird had not been cursing. He thought this was good. And then he started worrying that maybe the bird was hurt. And so he opened the door and the bird walked right out on his arm and said, awfully sorry about all the problems I've been causing. I'm going to work on my vocabulary. Don't worry about me anymore. And he was just amazed at the transformation of the bird. And then the bird pointed back at the refrigerator and said, by the way, what did the chicken do? (laughs) Well... We all want to avoid the penalty for our sin, don't we? But what will we do about the power of sin in our lives? Fear is one motivation to change. But on the whole, grace is a much better one. Would you open your Bibles with me today? Again, to the book of Romans chapter 8. I tell you, When I open this book, when I open to this letter, when I open to this chapter, I feel like I ought to take off my shoes because I'm standing on holy ground. You too? Let's stand and hear the word of the Lord. To his people, God is really present. My mentor used to say, God is really present when his people open his word. Romans 8, verse 5 Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit 
have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul sets forth here two radically different ways of life, two different ways of thinking, which lead to two different ways of living, which lead, he says, to two radically different destinations, or should we say destinies, in life. Paul says, on the one hand, we can live according to our sinful nature. The the word, literally just one word in in Greek is flesh. If you have the King James Version or the English Standard Version, it, it says, according to the flesh. But we know what Paul means by that in context, especially if we've read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, where he talks about the deeds of the flesh. We know that the flesh, as he refers to it here, is not just our physical body, but our sinful nature, our propensity to sin. And he says the problem with it is it can't please God. It can't submit to God. But in verse 9, he gives us hope when he says, but you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature. That's not the way you live your life because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been filled with the spirit of holiness, or as he calls it here, the spirit of Christ, or Christ himself comes to live inside you. And when he does, he changes the way you think. And when he changes the things you believe, he changes the way you behave. And he says to us, if we knew what God knows, we would want what God wants. We would do what God does and someday we will live where God lives. This is what Christ has called us to. Not to sin management, trying to do enough good in a day that will give us a little bit of leeway to do a little bit of bad. No, instead we are set free, he says, free from the the curse of the law, free from sin and death. We are free to live, free to become the people. I said last week that God always knew we could be. If you and I pursue the sinful nature, he says, it will doom us to death, eternally to be sure, but that death begins right here in this lifetime. Sin has a way of destroying and decimating, and I wonder, I wonder about what our minds 
say about the Lord Jesus Christ? When we hear about God's commands, when we hear about God's desires for our lives, do our hearts resonate with that and say amen? Or is there something within us like the little child who finally sits down because the parents command it and the child says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Is that us? Are, are we like those people that Kathleen Norris talks about, those, those children who are in the Sunday school class and their teachers haven't arrived? I hope this isn't happening even as we speak, but, but the teachers haven't arrived and the children are running amok and finally a parent hears the noise and starts to go down there and one little girl comes out and says, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. Well, we can live our lives that way, but Paul says it's a destructive way to live. It, it leads to death. It, it leads to trouble. In fact, listen to what Paul says about the sinful nature. He says the sinful nature is a mindset that leads to death. And, and the, the mind of the flesh, of your sinful nature, it, it doesn't submit to God. He says the sinful nature cannot submit to God and consequently it cannot please God. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, a parallel passage in Paul, he discusses this and he gives us a little more detail. In verses 19 and 20, he points out what the sins of the flesh are. He talks about sexual immorality and witchcraft and all of these things. The acts of the sinful nature, again the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And sometimes we will hear about somebody who sins, and somebody will say about them, and I thought they were a Christian, and that person is a Christian, as if to say a Christian would never ever in their lives sin Again, And what we have to say about that is that the measure of our commitment and relationship with Christ is not based on a single vignette, a single moment in time. It is true that Christians may sin after they become followers of Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying is, if that's the characteristic of our lives, if that's who we really are, if at the very heart we don't have any desire for the things of God, we don't want any part of the things of God, we just want to keep living the way we've always lived and just pretend that we have fire insurance, Paul says that's not the way to live. In fact, um, I read this week about uh, a young man who converted from Christianity to the Wiccan religion. Remember, witchcraft is mentioned there in, in verses 19 and 20. And this young man was asked, why did you do that? And he had changed his name to Morning Hawk Apollo. I don't know why. I guess that's just part of the Wiccan tradition. And he said, I'll tell you why I left Christianity behind. He said, the Christian God demands that we submit to his will, but the gods and goddesses that we serve in the Wiccan religion they submit to our wills. And I would rather my God submit to me than that I would submit to God. What do we know about a person who, who has no desire to submit to God at all? Not even, a, not even a pang of guilt when they sin. They just feel like that's the way they have a right to live. I don't care what God wants, they say. We would say about that person, Paul would say about that person, if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in them, they don't really belong to Christ. They're, they're really not a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look closely at that verse 21, what he says is, when the roll is called up yonder, they're not going to be there. 
they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Just let me ask you this. If a person has no desire to follow God in this life, why in the world would a person want to spend eternity with this God? But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then that changes everything. I think about a movie that they're advertising right now. I'm pretty sure. No, I'm, I'm very sure. I'm not going to go see this movie and it's a movie that celebrates young people going crazy and having a party and and sort of wreaking havoc and getting involved in debauchery and immorality it's right there in, in Galatians 5 19 and 20 it describes that movie pretty well as far as I can see from the preview and the, the person who made that movie also made um, those two classic movies you know timeless movies hangover one and hangover two which sold a lot of tickets one, two of the highest grossing movies in recent years hangover one and hangover two neither of which I saw, but can I just ask you something? I mean, clearly those movies are about re- rebellion. And I was just thinking about that. Why would a Christian ever find that entertaining? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited in any way. But I would just ask you, why would we ever find rebellion against parents and God to be humorous? It just doesn't make sense to me. If you've seen the lives that I've seen over the last 30 years as a pastor decimated by alcohol abuse... When you see a joke about alcohol abuse, you don't think it's funny. Because all you can see is the little children standing at the door in the middle of the night as their daddy walks out while you, the pastor, are saying, please stay with your family. And he says, I'd rather have alcohol than my family and the will of God. If anybody here thinks that's funny, you know, I don't know what to say. Because to me, it's It's devastating. Just, just last Sunday after I preached, you know, I, I live under this illusion that everybody always agrees with me all the time. If you don't, don't tell me because I think you do. And, you know, and I, I walk out of church and I'm at the back there and, and this guy comes up to me and he says, I've never been to your church before. He said, I'm just visiting from out of town. There was a funeral and he said, I, my family used to belong here. He said, I've never, I've never been here before. I said, oh, it's great. And he says, you have a wonderful preaching voice. I said, oh, thank you so much. You know, I thank you for that. And he, he said, I just want you to know I'm not going to go to hell for going to Mardi Gras. And I said, well, I don't, I, don't think I, I don't think I said that. And he, he said, no, that, no, you did say that. And I said, well, let me just put your mind at ease. No, if you're asking me if you ever go to Mardi Gras after you become a Christian, if that's going to send you to hell, then my answer to that is no. But say, let me ask you this. In your heart of hearts, do you want to do what God wants you to do? Do you really want to do what God wants you to do? I'm talking to a guy I've never seen before in my life, you know. And he said, well, I, I guess. And I said, because here's the thing. In this passage, it, I mean, it says... If my mind is absolutely set against doing what God wants me to do, then that's a sure sign that the Spirit of God doesn't live inside me. I'm not talking about on occasion. I'm talking about a pattern in life that says, I don't want what God wants. And that leads to destruction and to death. And why would we ever want to be a part of that? To have the Spirit of God is to know what God wants and to begin to want what God wants in this life, it's not just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, but it's right now. And we talk a lot about the cost of discipleship, but Dallas Willard talks about the cost of non-discipleship. And he says, you know what it will cost you not to be a disciple? It'll cost you love. It'll cost you joy. It'll cost you peace. It'll cost you that very life which Christ came to give. And who can afford to give up that Wilberforce um, collaborated with John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. But you know, before John Newton, before John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, there was a time when he was a slave, um, a slave ship captain. He, he steered the ship that picked up the slaves and delivered them. 
And then there came that day when he encountered Christ and he left that life behind and he committed himself to delivering the slaves. And when we see the statistics that we saw this morning, 27 million people in slavery in our world today through human trafficking, more slaves than at any time in human history, you and I cannot work toward delivering the slaves from captivity to sin if we're still part of the system. If we still think that pornography is okay, if we think sexual immorality is just a, a, a passing phase in people's lives, if we think that drunkenness and wild living can ever be pleasing to God, then we're part of the problem. We're not part of the solution. It wasn't until Newton became a Christian that he left that behind and committed his life to liberating slaves. Wilberforce, who was really the, the, the tour de force in Parliament for the cause of liberating and eradicating slavery in Britain. You've probably seen the movie Amazing Grace, which is a movie that I have seen and would commend to you. But just so you don't think I think all movies are bad. But, but Wilberforce, um, he had this friend. I think it's depicted in the movie. His friend, William Pitt the Younger, who I assume is the son of William Pitt the Older. I should remember that from my history um, major in college. I don't remember. But William Pitt the Younger is his friend in Parliament. And William Pitt the Younger is a church member. But he's just a Christian in name. He doesn't, he doesn't value the things that God values. He thinks slavery is a good thing. And Wilberforce is working on him. Because Wilberforce is, is nothing. If you know his story, if he's not persistent. So he's trying to get William Pitt the Younger to go to church with him to hear the preacher, Richard Cecil, who preaches the gospel. And William Pitt the Younger keeps saying, no, I'm not interested, I'm not interested. And then one day he says, okay, just to get him off his back, he goes. And wouldn't you know it, Richard Cecil preaches the Sermon of Sermons. He preaches the gospel. I mean, it was a great day to bring his friend. I mean, you know, it's not always a great day. Preacher starts talking about money or something. But I mean, this was a really great day. And he's, he's preaching and, and, and Richard Cecil, and when they leave, Wilberforce is convinced that William Pitt the Younger has finally heard the gospel and he's going to do something about it. And he says, what did you think of the sermon? And William Pitt the Younger looks at him and says, I have no idea what that man was talking about. Now, I know you may experience that sometimes here. (laughs) But what I want to say to you is, if you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed clearly and you go, I don't know what that's about. I remember talking to a family member one time and saying, all our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. In other words, we can't earn God's favor. And this family member said, yeah, that's crazy. I don't believe that. You mean all the good stuff I do for people, that's not earning my, my way into heaven? And I realized, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, then the truth of the gospel just sounds like nonsense to you. You know what Paul says? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you're not His and I'm not, I, listen, I preach hell with a broken heart. I don't want anybody to go to hell. But I wouldn't be doing anybody a service if I said to you, as some, like Rob Bell, have said in recent days, well, there's just no such thing as hell. At the end, it's going to be all the income free. Everybody gets in. If there really were a hell, and there is, and I don't say to you that the only way we can escape hell is by trusting in Jesus Christ and receiving the spirit of holiness who begins to transform our lives. Wouldn't I be doing you a disservice if I acted like that weren't true? I call upon you today to realize that the, the will submitted to the sinful nature will doom us to death. But I won't leave it there. Let, I won't leave you with bad news. Let me tell you some good news in verse 9 where it says, but the mind that is set on the Spirit leads, look at verse 6, leads to life and to peace. 
Uh, Paul says earlier in Romans, in Romans 5.1, since we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, now we have what? Peace with God. And, and Paul, again, in Galatians 5, after he talks about it, he gives that long list of sins you know, that I, I gave you. Then in verses 22 and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. See, this is the life that is guided by the Spirit. It's a life of rest in Christ. Listen to what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the life of discipleship gives. And by the way, that's what the life of non-discipleship loses. Jesus didn't say, I came to bring you death. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And right after John 3, 16, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It says, because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. They were already condemned. He came that they might have life. And who wouldn't want to live? Who wouldn't want the peace of God? Which, by the way, the shalom of God is not just the absence of strife. It's the presence of all the abundance of God's goodness in our life. It's that list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's shalom. That's what the Spirit brings. The Spirit brings four R's. Let me just give them to you this morning. It gives you rest. Peace with God. Gives you relationship. We'll talk more about that next week. Gives you righteousness. He makes us righteous. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When is that? In heaven? No, listen, here's the deal. Jesus is righteous because he never sinned. Jesus imputes his righteousness to us so that when God looks at us, we sang it last week, when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ and he counts us as righteous. But don't stop there. It goes on to say that the Righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who live according to the Spirit. I mean to say to you that the Spirit of holiness who lives inside you wants you to become holy. You shall be holy unto me for I, your God, am holy. And God calls us to this. Nothing less than righteousness. And finally, the fourth R there rest and relationship and righteousness here it is resurrection that's what we're pointing toward we're marching toward easter here and listen to what he says if the spirit who raised christ from the dead now lives in you he's going to make you live that's what he does he's the spirit i love the the new niv on this that he's the spirit who gives life he's a life-giving spirit he wants to give you life what would that look like I tried to imagine this this week. I try to find ways to illustrate things and forgive my partisanship when I say this. But I mean, look, if Arian Foster, I'm a, I'm a Texans fan. If Arian Foster, I live in Houston, that's why I'm a Texans fan. If Arian Foster, if I lived in Dallas, I'd still be a Texans fan, but that's another story. If Arian Foster lived in me, I could run the football. I mean, I think I could because that's who he is. He embodies that. Forgive my partisanship. If RG3 lived in me, okay, Andrew Luck, local boy, my son's high school, played basketball with my son. If Andrew Luck lived in me, I could play quarterback in the NFL. I'm convinced of that. I know you're looking at me thinking no, but I'm telling you, if he lived inside me, I could. 
If Brittany Griner lived in you, what you have, 41 points yesterday? Forgive my partisanship. 41 points. If Brittany Griner lived in you, you could play basketball. You, if she lived in me, I could dunk the basketball. Now, when I was a freshman in college, I could dunk a tennis ball. Nobody was impressed by that. Don't you have a ping pong ball? They would say, you know, because I couldn't palm the basketball. But if Brittany Griner lived in me, oh my, I, I could play basketball. What does it mean that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you? lives in me. What does that mean? Except that he who never sinned can empower us to overcome sin in our lives. And Paul says, look, there's two ways to live. One leads to death. One leads to life. Which will it be? But you say the force, look, we're like salmon swimming upstream here. The whole culture seems to be against us. It all seems to be bent on sin. Every advertisement, it seems everything that's, that's considered entertaining in our culture is godless and against God. But here's my word to you. It's pulling against us, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So John Ortberg tells about his friend Jimmy, a a former Olympic decathlete, and his son Davey swimming in the ocean. And Davey, the little boy, gets caught in a riptide. You ever been caught in one of those? I haven't. I don't want to be. It was pulling him away from shore, and he's trying to swim back to shore, and the current is far too strong. His father, Jimmy, sees him, dives in to try to help him. Now they're both caught in the riptide. And Jimmy said, in that moment, I thought, my wife is going to have a double funeral for me and my son. But Jimmy had a cousin who was standing out there in the water too. And he walked out on a sandbar and he was parallel to them. And they were swimming against the riptide and they were losing the battle. They, were, they would soon drown. And he stood parallel to the shore and he motioned to them and said, you come to me. Don't, don't try to swim against a force that you can't, but you come to me. And when they did, they lived. And I know the force of sin and the sinful nature within us is so powerful. Sometimes we think, I can't fight this tide. But I hear the Spirit of God living inside us saying, you come to me. Come to me and live. Why die when you can live? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace Forgive us when we cease to be amazed. God, I pray that you would astonish us today, that you would astound us by your grace, that you would call us to yourself, and we would hear your voice saying, come to me, and this time, Lord, we would come to you and be set free so that we might be free indeed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.